There are some moments that I have when I speak to athletes where I can see the ideas click and I can see the excitement. And that is just an incredible thing to witness firsthand. If we can get high profile athletes on board, it's not just the athlete themselves. They can bring audiences of millions. G'day folks and welcome back to Giving What We Can, where we explore how to use our resources to do the most good. I'm your host, Luke Freeman, and today we're joined by Marcus Daniel, an Olympic bronze medalist, professional tennis player, and founder of High Impact Athletes. Marcus is also a member of Giving What We Can, where he's pledged to donate 10% of his income to highly effective charities. So Marcus, welcome, and I'd love to hear more about High Impact Athletes. Thanks so much for having me on. This is, this is really, really exciting. And yeah, High Impact Athletes. So we started December last year. Uh, we're an organization that aims to harness the influence, the audiences and the wealth of, of professional athletes to do as much good in the world as possible. And we're growing really quickly. Uh, we've got between 90 and 100 athletes on board now and, and the organic growth is, is starting to happen. So yeah, it's, it's uh, all guns blazing. Can you tell me a little bit about the story behind uh, what led you to found High Impact Athletes? Sure. So I discovered effective altruism in 2015, and that was the first year where I actually made a little bit of money from tennis. It's not really that well known that the, the lower levels of professional tennis are really poorly paid, but the expenses are still huge. So if you don't break through that level or until you break through that level, you're really scratching a living together and just trying to trying to make ends meet and keep the dream alive. So I was doing that for the first years of my tennis career. Then when I finally broke through and, and put a little money in the bank and first felt a sense of financial security or a little bit of financial freedom, I had this urge to give back and I didn't really know how. Uh, none of the charities that I'd grown up with really resonated that deeply with me. And so like any good millennial, I turned to Google and typed in something like how to give back best or something like that. Uh, and that led me to first to 80,000 hours. That was the first effective altruism organization I came across. Uh, and the whole career advice section of their website just really blew my mind. Uh, and from there, I found giving what we can. And I made my first donation that year, I believe, to Against Malaria Foundation. And the next year made the Try Giving Pledge, the 1% pledge. Uh, and it felt really good. Each year I pushed myself a little more. So, you know, I'd, I'd make a, a commitment at the start of the year as to how much, how much of a percentage I'd want to pledge for that year. And then when I got to the end of the year, I'd make the donation and then ask myself, you know, can I, can I do more next year? And the answer has always been yes. So yeah, it got to the stage last year where I felt comfortable to, to make the, the full giving what we can pledge and, and did that right at the start of 2021. And, and it feels amazing. I really like the uh, approach of you know, finding what's comfortable and then trying to beat your personal best. That's something I hear from a lot of members. Uh, and yeah, it's a really good way of approaching it. I'd love to hear more about the achievements of high impact athletes so far. Sure. So, I mean, we are still very uh, a, a very new organization. Uh, we've been rolling for less than a year, but we have moved over $100,000 to uh, 
what we consider the most effective charities in the world. You know, these are the, the, the charities that are recommended by the likes of GiveWell or Founders Pledge or uh, Animal Charity Evaluators. And so we use their recommendations to, to dictate what we should have on the website. Over $100,000 of donations influenced. I think the the more impressive thing is the amount of growth we've had within the athlete community. There's really been quite a flood of athletes uh, coming on board and wanting to come on board. This is a really lumpy game, I think, because so many of the athletes that we speak to, they don't actually know at the start of the year how much money they're going to make. So it's really difficult to pre-commit. So what we're actually telling people to do, especially if they have a lumpy income, is to wait until the end of their season, wait and see how much they've earned, and from that, uh, make a donation amount or you know commit a percentage and, and then keep going like that. So what we're expecting is uh, in December we'll have a flood of donations come through. So at this point we're at a hundred thousand, but we've four or five x at this stage the amount of athletes on board HIA compared to last year. So we're hoping that the donations influenced this year will be somewhere between the sort of two, three, four hundred thousand dollar mark and and just want to keep building from there. How have you found the experience of founding a charity? It's been really challenging and really amazing. There there have been sort of both sides of it. The the challenging part has been uh, time constraints. So I'm still playing full-time professional tennis and that does take a large chunk or the vast majority of my energy uh, and most of my time as well. So what I found, especially early on as high impact athletes was growing, I felt like I was always behind the ball and I could never really catch up. Uh, and it was, it was really difficult. It was, I, I really wanted to do a good job with high impact athletes and I'm passionate about doing good in the world, but it felt like I couldn't stay on top of it. So that part for me has been challenging, but at the same time, the huge silver lining of COVID was I had some time when the tennis tour was on pause to actually put my thoughts in order to do a bunch of work that I otherwise wouldn't have had the time for. So the challenging part for me has been finding the time to uh, put into HIA to keep the wheels rolling and to keep growing it. Um, and now I'm lucky enough to have a really great small team around me who, uh, you know, when I'm just completely smashed by tennis, uh, I know that things are still grinding along in the background. And the amazing part has been many fold but one aspect of it has just been seeing other people get passionate about this people who had never donated in the past who'd never heard about effective altruism in the past and hearing these ideas and just sort of lighting up there are some moments that i have when i speak to athletes where uh i can see the ideas click and i can see the excitement and that is just an incredible thing to witness firsthand and then to you know it's it's a little bit of a I guess, an egotistical feeling, but knowing that if you hadn't had this chat with them, then they might not have found it. That part is really amazing. Also, the other thing that I found incredible is how helpful and how supportive the EA community has been. Even from before I started HIA, but especially since I started it, just how many people have offered their time, their advice. And it's in this way that's really collaborative. And I've never felt a sense of competition with anyone else in, in the EI community and coming from the industry that I come from, that is just <laughs> such a, such a breath of fresh air to feel like people are actually really helping each other and we yeah. want each other to succeed and we're willing to give our time and our energy to, 
to see that happen. So yeah, the, it, I mean, you know, the, the amazing part has been, has been so much bigger than the challenging part. Uh, but there has been, there have been some struggles as well. I'd love to hear how some of those conversations with athletes have gone, how you've um, approached that, how they've, you've struck up those conversations to start with, what the experience has been like. Yeah. So I think the, the one huge point of difference that we have is that I am an athlete and I'm still competing. So it's really, really useful to be able to approach an athlete from a place of equality or as a peer rather than as a salesman or as an agent or a manager or something like that. It means that it's a conversation rather than a pitch. So the vast majority of athletes who have come on board, I've had some sort of connection with. I've met them in the past from going to the Olympics or on the tennis tour or whether it's those people that I know who know them who have thought, yeah, this person would be right for HIA. Generally, it's a, hey, I started this charity uh, in 2020. I'm really passionate about these ideas and about the philosophy. Would you be willing to take 15 or 20 minutes of your time to just hear what it's all about and see if it resonates? And the, the amazing thing is that when I get an athlete on the phone, the conversion rate is like 60, 65%. Like a lot of these athletes are, it's almost like they're relieved to hear about something that they can trust and believe in. And that's, that's part of the power of effective altruism, I think, is that the ideas are so powerful that when people hear them, it's often a no-brainer. I'll speak about uh, my journey in, in giving because I, I think it's important for the people I speak to to know that I put my own money where my mouth is. You know, I, I speak about my journey uh, with pledging and with increasing that pledge and, and how good it makes me feel and how much extra incentive it gives me to go out on the practice court and you know work harder because I know now that every extra match that I win is it's great for me personally, but it's also great for, for so many other sentient beings in the world. And that is a huge, huge incentivizer for me anyway. And, and I've found that that's been a, a really resonant thing to speak about with other athletes. So I speak about that piece. I speak about why uh, HIA is focusing on the cause areas we do. I speak a little bit about effective altruism and the basic ideas of it. And I try to keep it very high level because a lot of these ideas, if you're coming across them for the first time, there's just so much information out there that it, can, that it can be a little overwhelming. So I try and take a really high level approach to begin with. And then if the ideas resonate, then go down, down the rabbit hole a little further. So with high impact athletes, there are sort of three levels of engagement or involvement for athletes. There's ambassador, donor, and pledger. I outline those. So brief rundown is uh, a pledger is 2% or more of income. A donor is anything less than that, but still donating. And an ambassador means you're not yet donating, but you want to use your platform to try and spread the word. And one thing I also try and make clear to athletes. So obviously we, we're aiming for pledges. We're aiming for people to, to commit a percentage because that's just a really meaningful commitment and people stick to that. But the cool thing about athletes and any other celebrity for that matter is if they are ambassadors and they're active ambassadors, then because they have such huge audiences, then they might actually be influential. And, you know, like athletes for better or worse are heated on more subjects than just sport, which is a little strange, but it's also a lever that we can use, you know, like 
I mean, I don't know how expert many athletes are on on things other than chasing a ball or or running fast or (laughs) whatever it is. But these audiences and these voices we can use and and really try to spread the ideas of effective giving. Uh, So I try not to minimize the if people don't feel comfortable with donating right now, then I try to say that's fine. If you're effective as an ambassador, you can really make a huge difference as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, those are the main points I hit. And then if someone, uh, seems particularly excited about, about any specific area, then I'll just sort of go a little deeper there. Spoken with another member who really struggles to get up in the mornings and they like to think of giving around 12% of their income as the first hour of the day. That's for the world. (laughs) (laughs) I love that frame. It's a frame, but it's also true. Yeah. Like that's, that's the beautiful thing about it. It it really, it's, you know, you're trying to sort of change your perspective on something, but Mm. it's also just valid. What are some of the risks you see going forward, the challenges you might be facing in the coming years? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I, I, I was giving it some thought and the one big risk that I can see is when I retire, uh, because at this point anyway, I'm the driving force behind recruitment. And I think recruitment is our most important aspect and is probably the most important aspect of many charities. Uh, So when I retire, I'm not going to be on the tennis tour. I'm not going to be an active professional athlete. And so perhaps my utility as a recruiter might decrease. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. I think actually one of the beautiful benefits of having won a medal is that it's immediately recognizable by every athlete in the world. So, you know, even when I'm finished tennis, if I try to approach someone and say, hey, I'm an Olympic medalist, then that's something that any athlete can grab onto and say, okay, this this guy's actually legit. You know, he's not a club player who's sort of aggrandizing himself. That is a risk that I foresee and I don't know how much longer I'm going to keep playing tennis, but I think it's worthwhile putting some thought into what we might be able to do if that does mean that recruitment goes down. Have you found some of the early pledges and donors and ambassadors uh, seem pretty uh, promising potentially as that next generation of people who will really take this on board and, and want to uh, spread it themselves? I have. There are a few that I can think of off the top of my head who have really bought into effective altruism and are keen to spread it as much as possible. A woman called Julia Ratcliffe, who's a hammer thrower from New Zealand, really smart lady. And she wants to do things like get the New Zealand Olympic team together and, and do a seminar on effective altruism and this sort of stuff. And I mean, that could be hugely impactful. Uh, the logistical side is is difficult and especially at the moment during covid where everything is just difficult to organize but i can i can picture in a post covid world using athletes who are passionate about this uh doing the organizing for them if that's possible but getting a group of potentially interested people together and putting a successful professional athlete in front of them and getting them to say, you know, this is why I do what I do. This is high impact athletes who, who wants to get involved. On that note, any final calls to action of ways that people can support high impact athletes? Yeah. So, so there are a few different ways. So one way is just by following us on all the social media and, and sharing our content, sharing the athletes who are coming on board. Uh, the more we can, we can push this information and this movement in front of people. I think the faster it will grow. 
And I think the faster it will grow, the more impact we'll have. Uh, the other thing that is gold to us is if you know of any athletes who have a, an altruistic bent uh, or you think they might just be interested in being part of a community of athletes who want to give back, then please refer them to us. I'm open to chatting to any athlete who wants to give back. And the cool thing is that, you know, we have the likes of Joe Parker, who's a, a world heavyweight boxing champ, Steph Sitsipas, who's a Grand Slam finalist, Olympic gold medalists, world record holders. Um, you know, we've got so many amazing athletes on board that I think part of the appeal is just being part of this group of, of these amazing athletes doing something good. So if you, if you know an athlete who, uh, who might be interested in getting involved, then please do refer them to us. And, and uh, yeah, the more the merrier. Were there things in your childhood or experiences in adolescence um, that you think helped shape your moral development? My family has always been very connected to nature. I grew up watching animals being farmed in what I believe is the most humane way possible for farming uh, and seeing the care of those animals. And not only that, so within the farm, there are, you know, pieces of native bush that are part of a conservation trust and and this sort of stuff and doing a lot of hiking as a family doing a lot of water sports as a family and just spending a lot of time in nature so i think that bond with nature started very very early and that's one aspect of my giving or aspect of my passion for improving the world that's stayed very strong the whole way through my family has been charitable but not uh extensively so you know i definitely haven't made a song and dance about it I think the piece of moral development that might have come into play was just feeling lucky for what we have. And that was just sort of ingrained in us as kids, uh, appreciation for what we had. And then I think at some stage, I sort of clicked into taking that to the next level where I felt very lucky for being born in New Zealand, where just by virtue of winning the birth lottery, and having loving parents, I had a huge step up in life. And realizing that and realizing that that was pure luck was a huge step for me in terms of realizing that I really wanted to give back, realizing that I, I felt a duty or a, a really strong urge to, to balance the scales. I can't pinpoint a specific moment or a specific conversation, but I think being taught appreciation uh, was probably the key thing for me. So further to that, I'd love to know if there are any books, uh, podcasts or other media that have really influenced your thinking, um, which you'd like to recommend to people. There are so many. Uh, I'll, try, I'll try to narrow it down. I still can't recommend highly enough uh, websites like yours, like Giving What We Can or 80,000 Hours. I just think they're incredibly concise and practical guides towards doing good with your life and with your career and for me it was a real light bulb moment to realize that even in this entirely selfish career of trying to become an amazing tennis player i could do good in the world i think that idea is is resonant with a lot of people so either the eighty thousand hours website or the giving what we can website hugely helpful Another one for me that was Animal Liberation by Peter Singer. This is in a quite a specific area of effective altruism, but it goes into uh, the way that we treat animals and the idea that 
in particular, factory farms are morally abhorrent and, and shouldn't exist. That's an idea that I believe in wholly, uh, philosophically, ethically, environmentally, uh, even from a public health perspective. So that book was, was really a catalyst for me in going plant-based. Uh, and that's something that's been a, a huge change in my life, particularly coming from a sheep and beef farm in New Zealand. And then uh, also, because I'm on the Peter Singer train, his book, The Life You Can Save, uh, I think is an amazing intro to effective altruism and to giving back in the world. Um, I think you'd do a much better job of describing it than me, but his drowning child essay is just one of the most hard hitting pieces of philosophy I've ever come across. Yeah, it can be quite an eye opener for a lot of people. Um, yeah, and the life you can save is now currently available for free. Do you feel any crossover between your approach to sport and your approach to effective giving, such as dedication or evidence base or things like that? Absolutely, yeah. And and this is something we're we're still trying to figure out the right tagline or slogan for. But I see real overlap in that all professional athletes every single day are looking for optimizing their training methods looking for how to get the most out of every calorie of energy that they output every minute of their time because sport careers are short and so you have to maximize every single little piece that you can and my conception of effective altruism is basically the same thing but with charity trying to find the most effective ways to do charity and so i think like one tagline we've come up with is world-class athletes, world-class charities. And it's just that idea of, you know, optimizing and optimizing and optimizing until you reach maximal efficiency. Uh, and I think that's definitely across sport. It's across effective altruism. It's across many other industries. It's almost just like the high performance echelon of, of each industry. And that's where I see effective altruism. Another question we have is what are common responses that you get from athletes who you have the conversations with, you uh, try to recruit to high impact athletes, but uh, don't succeed with? Are there common objections or responses that you find that you're hearing more often? Yes. Yeah. The, the most common response is one that I imagine is the most common across EA, which is I want to give to my community. And I completely understand that. Uh, I think, you know, as humans, we have proximity bias. We all care more emotionally about those closest to us. Uh, and athletes are the same as everyone else in, in that regard. So, yeah, the, the most common failure I've had is I want to give to my local charities. Uh, behind that is athletes who have already set up their own foundations or, or their own organizations. Uh, that's not always a, a fail. So there have been some athletes who have their own foundations and the, the foundation has donated to high impact athletes or through high impact athletes, I, I should say, donated to uh, the charities that we feature. I guess the only other failure we've had is uh, if athletes are worried that by associating with us, they malign or sideline other sponsors that they have. So for example, one response I've had is uh, they were interested in the, in the climate space and the climate change space, but one of their clothing sponsors were doing this thing where some of their clothes were made out of partially recycled plastics or something like that. And their agent thought that they didn't want to step on any toes. And 
for me, that gets a little ridiculous because I think there's just a, a huge difference in you know having a bit of recycled plastic on your tennis shoes and the sort of climate change impact you can make through the Clean Air Task Force or, or that sort of organization. But especially when agents are involved, there's a real consciousness around how will this affect my athletes' uh, media image and social image. And yeah, because we're a new organization and you know we're, we're not well-known in the sporting space, uh, I think there's a little bit of trepidation there. The thing is, we live in this really complex world with all of these interrelated um, decisions, like no decision is in a vacuum. Uh, not to have any spoilers, but The Good Place deals with this quite well in some of the later seasons um, around the fact that our decisions uh, and our behaviours just have all of these flow-on effects. So you can't expect that if someone is you know, advocating for climate policies that are going to improve the world, you can't expect that they do nothing, which makes that slightly worse. Or they have no associations uh, with anything because no, that's an impossible standard. Um, but someone will use that sometimes as a, a way to attack someone. So I can understand the trepidation. I've heard some pretty interesting emails from some people who are not fans of the ideas of effective altruism. And I think it is true that regardless of what you do, someone will hate you for it. All you can do is do what you think is right and and stick to a strong moral code. And and you know, like I, I don't I don't hold it against these athletes who make those decisions. Uh one thing I try to be very, very clear on if I speak to people is look, there's no pressure on this. This is something that I really strongly believe in. But I don't want you on board HIA unless you're happy to be on board. I don't want to pressure you into this. I don't want you to feel squeezed emotionally or financially because where I think this could gain the most traction and the most momentum is if people feel really happy and excited about being involved and pass on that enthusiasm to other athletes. That's where I see the organic growth, not in people being like, oh yeah, I made this commitment and now I feel like I sort of have to, or you know, I'm not quite sure because I've seen that reaction uh, in regards to previous donations that people have made, you know, where someone's come and knocked on their door and they've given them 500 bucks and then be like, what, what's that actually going to do? Uh, and sometimes I think that's legitimate. And I really, I really, really don't want that to be the case for people involved in effective altruism or involved in high impact athletes. I like to see it as a, it's an invitation. Um, and the first battle uh, for any idea is awareness. And many of us experience this where we just discover something exists in the world that aligns with our values and what we want to see in the world. And just knowledge of existence <laughs> is the first step. And then the next thing is seeing that other people are motivated and passionate about things. Um, and that comes from people sharing their personal stories and experiences. And then you go a little bit deeper and you see that it is backed up by evidence as, you know, strong reasoning and all that behind it. And that's that kind of level of confidence um, and ability to move forward, um, knowing that obviously the world is uncertain, not everything is solved, but uh, you can move forward with more confidence than you might otherwise have. And so the awareness, the motivation and that uh, robustness behind it is just a nice combination. And that's so much better than going uh, and having an experience where someone feels they're being guilted into doing something. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, that first part, uh, I really like that phrase, the, the, the battle for awareness. Uh, 
that's the part where I really think that high impact athletes can make a huge difference because if we can get high profile athletes on board, it's not the, just the athlete themselves. They can bring audiences of millions. And this is, I might be selling effective altruism a little short here, but this is what I see as the biggest failing of effective altruism right now is how unknown it is. And I think there can be more effort put into spreading the ideas as wide as possible, trying to get them more into the mainstream because it's been my experience with high impact athletes that the majority of people who hear these ideas love them. And one reason I've heard for, I guess, the, the slow push or the slow rollout of effective altruism is that some of the sort of founding members, if you want to call them that, really wanted to nail down the messaging first, wanted to nail down the philosophies and get it perfect before they pushed it out. And I, I get that, but I don't think it will ever be perfect. I think it will be constantly changing. And I think that's actually one of the strengths of effective altruism is no one's fully on their high horse and saying, this is exactly what we should do forever. It's we're always looking for the best way to do things. And that as an idea is pretty simple. You know, just we should always try to give effectively if we can. I don't think that can be misinterpreted too easily. So where I think high impact athletes can be huge for the effective altruism movement is in that awareness piece where hopefully through the mouthpieces of really popular athletes, we can get a ton of people speaking about effective altruism and giving effectively. And maybe through a bunch of people speaking about it, we can get more people donating. Yeah, that's that's the part that I get I get pretty frothy about. <laughs> Effective giving is a really accessible way that many people can engage with these ideas and, and make a real tangible impact in the world. You don't have to change career. You don't have to pick up and move location. You don't have to uh, make sweeping changes in your life um you can have a taste of what it's like to make a tangible impact um today by just making a small donation even to start with and then from there start to learn more and start to give more and start to think about other things in your life um but it's a really great uh on-ramp to really engaging with some of these big problems in the world and how we can use our resources to solve them and and the other thing that you said there that really really hit home with me was uh, the motivation piece. So one of the things that I loved about taking the Giving What We Can pledge was knowing how many thousands of other people had taken it and were doing it with me. That's a huge boost, you know, knowing that you're not alone, knowing that other people are on this journey and finding the same joys or the, or the same hardships. It is a very simple idea of how can we do more good with the resources we have than we would do Otherwise, if we didn't think about this question. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think that framing it as a question and that uh, we have some tentative answers that we think are pretty good, but they're far from being uh, ultimately true, <laughs> uh, but they are great steps in that direction. So when you have a list of you know, highly impactful charities, that's a list that'll change over time. And that is the best guess that you have with the information you have at this point in time. And to be clear that that is the pursuit that we have. Absolutely. And, and I think asking that question was, is already a leap ahead of the majority of the charity world. Before we finish up, I'd just love to hear what's uh, coming up for you personally and high impact athletes that you're excited about. Sure. So uh, personally, I'm playing more tennis, which is sort of the answer that's, that's been on the table for the last many, many years. Um, so I'm 
currently in the States. I just finished Davis Cup, which is sort of the World Cup of tennis. It's country versus country. Uh, heading over to California for a few tournaments after that. And then the tour goes over to Europe. Uh, so this is, you know, one of the pieces that I get very uncomfortable about with the tennis tour is I, I'm constantly traveling and constantly flying. Uh, so my carbon footprint is disgusting. Uh, but that's one of the realities of the job. And like you were saying earlier, I'm aware that it's not good for the environment, but we can only do the pieces that we can do uh, and no one's ever going to be perfect. Yeah, and, and then uh, at the end of the season, which will be early November, uh, I'm looking to take a bit of a break, like a month off, just to, it, it's been a hell of a couple of years uh, trying to, play tennis during COVID and, and I haven't been able to get back to New Zealand because the borders have been closed and actually missed out on a, on a spot last night and, and a big uh, quarantine raffle that they did. So I don't think I'll be able to get back to New Zealand this year, which is, which is a bit of a bummer. I think just, just taking a month to put the rackets out of sight and really uh, do some deep rest and, and rejuvenation and gear up for giving season because uh this is the first full year for for hia and uh we're expecting that december is going to be an extremely busy month uh and so yeah just trying to trying to reach out to all of the athletes who have made commitments and um for the majority of them uh, it's going to be sort of a bespoke donation pathway to maximize tax deductibility and that sort of stuff so there's going to be a ton of work in december uh, but I'm looking forward to it because I think I think we've done a really good job in, in growing the organization and in growing the the athlete base. So I'm just um, excited to see the sort of numbers that we can post. Uh, and then actually might be coming down to see you in Australia at the start of next year um, for the Australian Open. COVID dependent. <laughs> yes, looking forward to it. Um, and I will say now you've got to be the most quarantined person I know possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it hasn't been fun. <laughs> yeah, well, looking forward to that uh, being behind us um, and, yeah, hoping you can make it out early next year. I always enjoy catching up and this has been really great to hear a little bit more in the weeds about uh, your story and how things are going at HIA and what's what's coming up. So thank you, Marcus. Thanks so much for having me. I, re I really enjoyed the chat. I love what you're doing with giving what we can. Uh, it's just going from strength to strength and it's awesome to see. Um, I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of it. So thanks for having me on and thanks for the work that you do. Thanks to Marcus for joining me today. And thanks to our listeners for lending me your ears for the duration of this episode. I hope you found it to be insightful. Don't forget to check out givingwhatwecan.org where you can learn more about giving effectively and join our community of compassionate people. Until next time, keep on doing good. Thank you.